0: Calls, but that would be a big help if you don't uh, get by the bulletin boards call sandy jordan and let her know how many you'll be bringing uh we thank again the leesburg methodist church adult choir you guys just wonderful i'm, I'm telling you y'all just got your heart in it and it's just a real blessing. Thank you. Uh, tomorrow night unlimited grace will be here and if i remember right a lot of those folks are up front uh up around the um Yanceville area, I believe that will be coming tomorrow night. I got that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you
1: yeah. 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 okay.
0: All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, we'll double your pay. All right, don't worry about it. But uh, but we look forward to you guys you guys singing again in just a moment. Um, I'm not going to go over the whole prayer list tonight, but um, we were expecting Weldon Bose to come home uh, today, but. But he had a setback uh, yesterday, so Weldon is still at the uh, VA hospital. Uh, I would remind you again of Sonia Vaughn having chemotherapy again on Wednesday. Uh, Janet Davis will have surgery Friday uh, at Duke. Sonia will have her chemotherapy at Duke, and Janet will have her surgery at Duke also. Mark Oakley uh, has come home from Duke. He came home today, Wanda Joe, that's correct. And, um, also sue carver came home from person memorial but please add uh, malchus carver that's elma um, elma clayton's uh, brother Uh, many of you know him as uchi he had surgery today so please lift him up Uh, also larry honeycutt at hillcrest uh, shorty clayton in Roxburgh nursing center and joe lee in salisbury please continue to remember the flood victims in texas and the other Folks that have been affected by the hurricane, we'll need to pray for them for quite a while, but please continue to lift them up and please continue to pray for our revival that God would bless it. So let's join together now as we pray, okay? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a child of God. Lord, we are so grateful that while we were yet sinners, your son came and died for us so that we could know not only your love but your salvation, Father. God, thank you that to be one of your children means that we have that peace and assurance that all is well because your son has prepared a place for us in heaven. And God, please bless us as we have these revival meetings this week. We pray for David, that you would anoint him from on high. God, we thank you for he and his wife and children and all of his family. And Father, for the family of of Antioch Baptist Church, God, we thank you that they've loaned him to us this week. And we pray that you'll continue to bless their ministry there. And God, we thank you for Leesburg Methodist Church and for their choir that has come to sing. And God, we pray your blessings upon their church also. And Father, we thank you that whether we are Baptist or Methodist, we are your children first. And so, Father, tonight we just ask that you would again be in the service and reveal yourself. Speak through David. Speak through your word. May we allow the Holy Spirit, Father, to speak to our hearts and our minds to meet our needs and to draw us closer unto yourself. And Father, not only in our church, but around the county and all of the churches, there are so many people that are sick. God, we we lift them all up to you. We pray, especially tonight, for Weldon Bowes, God, that you might strengthen him and that you would be with Helen and with Kay and, and with Mike and all of the rest of the family. And, God, for those having surgeries this week, please bless them. For the ones having cancer treatments, God, we we pray for those that have had surgeries in recent weeks and are back at home that you will continue to strengthen them. God, we pray for the many that are still feeling the effects of flooding and hurricanes. And, God, we would especially lift up the people of Puerto Rico. God, we, we pray that their power might be restored. We pray that you might provide water and food. And, Lord, most of all, that you would give them hope. God, you have blessed us and spared us from storms, and for that we're grateful. And, and God, we just pray that as David spoke last night about the joy of, of being your child, that that joy would be so real to us that it would flow from us to others and that others would truly see the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Father, again, we, we wait for you to bless us tonight. May we be still in our hearts and minds and let the Spirit of God speak through the Word of God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick word of introduction to David. I don't think I need to introduce David, but, uh, but, but David is a native Timberlakean. I guess that's how we'd say that. Is that close enough? Timberlaker? But uh, David was in um, the medical field, if I remember this correctly, a radiology technician working at the VA hospital, I believe, David, is that correct, and felt called into the ministry. And what a call he has received and what a response he has made. David, we're honored to have you back and and Missy and and the boys and your mother and, and part of your church family from Antioch tonight. And again, we're honored to have the choir from Leesburg Methodist. Please, let me tell this quick story, okay? I love, I love, and I love Methodist. I tell you, they are just some of the finest people that I have ever met. Uh, But a Baptist church, and I know some of the church people have heard me tell this story before. I'm not trying to bore you, but I love it. Uh, A Baptist church was having a revival, kind of like we're having tonight. And I mean, the place was packed. And the home preacher, he just kind of strutting around a little bit, wanted to show off before the visiting preacher. And he said, How many here are Baptist? He knew that most of his church people were there. And and everybody but one little old boy sitting kind of where, where Josh is sitting at, Josh Seaman's sitting at. One little old boy was the only one who didn't raise his hand. And the preacher was kind of offended. And he looked down at the little boy. He said, He said, You ain't a Baptist? He said, No, sir. He said, Well, what are you? He said, I'm a Methodist. And the preacher said, Well, why are you a Methodist? He said, My grandparents were Methodists, my parents were Methodists, my brothers and sisters were Methodists, so I'm a Methodist. And it just insulted the Baptist preacher. And he looked at the little boy and he said, son, he said, let me ask you something. If your grandparents were morons and your parents were morons and your brothers and sisters were morons, would that make you a moron? He said, no, sir, that would make me a Baptist.
2: I'm kind of like Mr. Cruz. I don't know if I can follow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me get in order here. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> the next song we're going to sing to, the next song that we're going to sing, yes, yeah, get me straight, is right, is, um, United in Christ. Um... At this time in our world, when we have so much heaviness um, amongst us, um, I think we as Christians have to be united. No matter, as uh, Reverend Brown said, Baptist, Methodist, whoever, we are all under one God. Amen. And so we hope this song speaks truth. (laughs)
1: said even he could preach after that (laughs) so we ought to be all right that was amazing guys thank you choir you know Herbert you uh made reference to how many Antioch folks are here tonight and I have to tell you my heart swells to see them but the reality is my folks follow me pretty much anywhere I go and it's not for the reason you might think see they've heard that every preacher has at least one good sermon and they're going to follow me till they hear it um (laughs) So anyway, I'm glad to have them no matter why they're here, but uh, I got to tell you, um, when y'all saw Herbert get a little bristled up when he come in and saw Tim sitting beside Deborah, you have to recognize there's a backstory to that. Uh, he was having a bit of a flashback to the years when y'all were still in the middle of a building program and trying to raise funds. Uh, and some of you will remember this. He he got up that morning and was talking about passing the plate to try to raise the last few funds that were needed to finish up the addition, and uh he said, look, the, the person that gives the most, I'm going to let them pick out the three hymns for the service today. So they passed the plate. They got that thing back around, and one of the ushers said, Herbert, come here. Herbert went over there, and he said, what, really? He pulled a $1,000 bill out of the plate. Now, you know that really exists. I've never had one, but according to the, the truth, they, they exist. So anyway, he said, a $1,000 bill. He said, who gave this $1,000 bill because you get to pick the three hymns today. A little lady in the back, Miss Deborah. She said, he said, all right, Deborah, you get to pick three hymns today. (laughs) Deborah stood up pointed at Tim, pointed at Stan, and pointed at Rob back there. She picked her three hymns, and so now... And so now, Herbert gets all bristled up, afraid she's going to pick another (laughs) hymn. Let let me say this. Deborah, I pray for you. I want you to know that. You know, I I think about what my wife has to deal with, and then I think, you know, I ain't nowhere near close to what Herbert is, so I pray for you. (laughs) I pray for you all the time. Tonight's message is entitled, Your Joy is Showing. Now, there's a reason that I call it that. Last night when we left, I had spent all of that time talking to you about the importance of joy in our lives. It's critical that when we are out and about that people see something different in our lives. Otherwise, why do they want what we have, namely Jesus Christ? The reality is if they see somebody that's no old sourpuss, look like somebody stole our best friend, they're not going to want to know anything that's going on in our life. They want to go the other way because who likes to be around a negative Nancy, right? So we talked about that, and I told y'all, "Let your joy show." So I walked out, and one of our members from Annie, all remained nameless. Shondell Parker sitting on the third row. <clears throat> she was getting ready to get in her truck, and I said. And she was grinning from ear to ear. Now, if you've ever seen this girl smile, she's contagious. She light up a whole room when she smiles. But she was grinning from ear to ear. She got it. Her joy was showing. So I looked. I said, Careful, your joy is showing. She did this. She said, Oh, no, what? What's showing? What's that? <laughs> she turned as red as a beet. <clears throat> I told Missy, I said, Did she really think I'd tell her if something else was showing? I- <laughs> I would have been mortified and took off running, but, but listen, I hope and pray with all my heart that you will get the simple truth of the series of messages we're going through this week. It is critical that our joy is always showing. You say it ain't easy to be happy and smile in tough times, preacher. I didn't tell you it ought to be easy, but I said it is possible and it should happen. I showed several pictures last night, and since we got folks in the back that like playing around with them, let's go ahead and show them again tonight. So let's start with number one, and as you look at picture number one, hopefully we've still got them in order back there. I got, a, I got a new AV person tonight. So, all right, check this guy out. He's got to be British. Look at the bowler, but he is just as happy as he can be, can't he? Now, would you rather hang out with this guy or number two, this guy? Which one, one or two? Okay, all right, let's go on to the next picture, number three. Now look at the beauty and the joy and the sweetness in that face. I feel like I know her because she looks like so many little ladies that I've met through the years. She's just gorgeous in every way. But what's really gorgeous about her is that she looks like there's joy in her life. Would you rather sit and have a cup of coffee with this sweet little lady or, number four, Bertha better than you? You know if you sit and have a cup of coffee with this lady, you know what's going to happen. She's going to tell you what's wrong with everything in the world, including you. You know what's coming. Now, let's flip that just a little bit. I ask you, would you like to hang out with number one or number two? I ask you, would you like to have a cup of coffee with number three or number four? Think about this. If one of these folks came up to you and was trying to share Christ with you, which one do you think would be more effective? The guy with the big old grin or the guy that had that sour look on his face? The guy with the grin, right? You're going to think, he's got something genuine. He's got something real. The second guy, you're going to think, man, I'm scared of this guy. Something ain't right about him. He just looks so down. And then you think about that. Who would you rather hear the gospel from? That sweet little lady who clearly has got something deep down Or that lady that you know is just spending her days gossiping. And if that happens to be you, shame on you, fix it now. That's another message for another time. But the truth is the package matters. If Jesus Christ really indwells your heart, you understand that you're on the winning team. Nothing's ever going to shake you because you know no matter how bad it gets, the worst that can happen to you is that your last breath is taken from you and your next one is in glory where everything's perfect. Man, when you get a hold of that kind of joy that's down deep inside, external things cannot affect you. They just can't. It doesn't mean you're going to be grinning ear to ear every moment of the day. Sometimes you might be contemplative, you're thinking about things. Sometimes you might be in prayer and you may not be grinning through that. Sometimes you may be struggling through something, but you are going to, as a rule, not the exception to the rule, show that you have joy and something genuine in your life. And remember, I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is external. Anything can bring you happiness. Tonight, I watched Herbert Brown eat so many onions, I was afraid when he'd come over there to sit down, he was going to sit beside me and dogged on if he didn't. He, he, he was sitting there just eating them onions. He said, I'm glad you're preaching tonight. And I'm thinking, me too, because at least you'll be about 10 feet from me. But. He was eating those onions and just as happy as a pig in a poke. He really was. He was enjoying it. But I'll tell you, it's gone. You don't have them anymore. Don't you wish you had more? That happiness goes away. Why? Because the onions went away. Whatever your flavor happens to be that makes you happy, that's external, once you're done with it, it ain't long before you want it again because it's gone. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about something that comes from external factors. I'm talking about that which is so deep down inside that the world can't touch it. Nothing external can affect it. I began last night by talking to you about the importance of understanding Proverbs fifteen thirteen and Proverbs seventeen twenty two. You don't have to turn back there, but it's real simple. In that message last night, entitled Daymakers or Bonebreakers, I read those two uh, verses in tandem. And what they say is, a merry spirit makes a cheerful countenance. Then it also talks about how it's a good medicine. If you've got that joy in your life and it's showing it's a good medicine, the prescription for lots of things. It also says that a spirit that is downtrodden, that is cast down, breaks the bones. It dries the bones and it makes people depressed. So cut it out. I told you the importance of the package. People seeing that there's something real inside. Now, you can't judge a book by a cover, but you can judge a Christian by their joy or lack thereof. I would tell you that is a fact. Amen. If there's no joy, I don't believe there's any Jesus. Because you got Jesus, you got joy. Moving right along, I went to 2 Corinthians 2.16 last night just to get everybody on the same page. And basically what that says is you are either the savor of life unto life to those who know Christ and those who don't, or you are the savor of death, the smell of death. To those who do not know him. Think about that. So what did I tell you with that? I said look we need a whole lot more stinky Christians. That smell good for Christ. Instead of the ones that stink like the devil. You say that's that's really not proper grammar. I don't care. I'm not up here trying to teach an English class. I'm just telling you we need more stinky Christians. That smell like Jesus Christ in a good way. Than the ones that stink like the devil in a bad way. Think about that. You may be the only Jesus some people ever see. And if you're running around like somebody licked the red off your lollipop everywhere you go, and every little thing that comes along tears you out of your frame, you may not be the Jesus that gets their attention. Think about it. Then I read to you 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are, it doesn't say we should be, it says we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? It's real simple. It's somebody who comes on behalf of someone else with a priceless message. Someone more important than them with a precious message. What is more precious, more priceless than coming on behalf of the king who gave his very life for his creation so that they might come back to him and be reconciled and spend eternity with him when they breathe their last here? There's no greater message. The gospel is the message and we are its ambassadors. But if you're walking around without your joy, people just may not get a hold to it. So like Chandale. I hope you will leave here tonight and that your joy will be showing all over you. And I hope it's already started. I got a few comments this morning at the Senior Center. I really like that message. I was like, why ain't you smiling? (laughs) Anyway. but I told you also that last night, the reason we sometimes don't look like we have joy, even if we may have it, the reason we don't look like it, it's a matter of focus. You see, life happens. The devil's going to make sure of that. He can't stand you, and he certainly doesn't want you to be a good ambassador for him, for Christ. And so he's going to do everything he can to get you off target, to take that joy or the appearance thereof from you so that you cannot reach anybody with this precious message. And so we need to focus back in on those things that matter. And I told you last night there's a lot of reasons for joy. If you turn on the news, it seems like everything is just going to hell in a handbasket, doesn't it? It really does, because we're focused on all the negativity, and yes, there's plenty. There's plenty of it, because our nation and our world has turned from Christ. And when you do that and try to do it your way instead of God's way, it's only natural that things aren't going to work out like they should. And so, yes, there's plenty of negative to go around. But I shared with you last night that even though we are terrified of the Islam nation, that Muslims are coming to Christ faster now than they have ever come to Christ. Read a book by David Garrison called A Wind in the House of Islam. They are coming to Christ faster and in larger numbers than ever before in history. And that's the fix to our issue. Not just the Muslims, that all people would come to Christ. People need the Lord. These people that we love to hate have an eternal soul and what we should be doing is praying that somehow they would come to Christ. And Thousands upon thousands of Muslims are doing so each and every day now. I told you that even though we're hearing about all the churches that are dying across our country, that new church plants are popping up. There's a boom right now of new church plants that are popping up faster than the old churches are dying. Now, I'm not saying it's good for any church to die, but some of those churches are dying because they've lost their joy and they've gotten away from standing on the Word of God, which is still and always will be the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And so maybe if they've gotten to a point where they can compromise this, it's time for the doors to close so that a new church can come along that will stand on it. I said it last night, I'll say it again. Stand behind leadership that stands on this book. Because if they're not, they're standing on shaky ground and you'll be following them right down as it crumbles. We need to be praying that that happens. But churches are popping up that believe this is the word of God and are standing on it faster than other churches are dying. I also began to tell you that even now, regardless of how you feel about our president and the current political situation, it's a mess. Let's just be realistic. But regardless of how you feel about that, there's a Bible study going on for the first time in over 100 years weekly in the House and the Senate, a true evangelical Bible study. Look it up. It's good stuff. Forty state capitals now have an evangelical Bible study every single week. Twelve of our current cabinet members, one of the most evangelical cabinets in presidential history, meet together every week on top of those other things that I've already mentioned to have Bible studies. And even though I'm still waiting for more results... President Trump has requested that those transcripts from these Bible studies come across his desk. You know what I'm praying every day? That one of them Bible studies will settle so deep down in that rascal's heart that he won't be tweeting about how bad something's going on. He'll be tweeting about the Lord Jesus Christ and saying it's time to get back. But I digress before I become somewhat political. That wasn't intended to be that. It was intended to tell you that things aren't as bad as they seem. It's a matter of focus. You can always find the shadows, but there's always going to be a light where there's a shadow, always, by default. And so I told you last night, we need to get our focus right. And then I said, you know, not only are those good things happening, God's still on the throne. Has he been dethroned? I mean, did I get the memo on that? No, he hasn't been dethroned, and he never will be. We are on the undefeated team, and it will always be so. There's reason for joy. And then the last one I gave you was sort of an obvious one. You woke up this morning. It's nice to get a day older. That's a luxury that wasn't afforded to thousands today. Many people did not wake up today. Many people may not make it through the day. You're still here. There's so much to be joyful about And yet we focus on all the negative instead of that which should bring us joy. In order to have the right focus to keep joy and to display joy in our lives, as I shared with you last night, my son told me years ago that joy is about joy, J, Jesus, O, others, and Y, yourself. And so we're going to go through that for the next few nights. Tonight we're going to focus on the J, the Jesus, because if you can't come back the rest of the week, and if you don't hear anything else I say, I'm going to tell you, if you want to have joy, you need to have Jesus. And so let me start with this. Who is Jesus to you? That is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. And I hope that all of you have come to the understanding when I ask you who is Jesus, that you would look at me and be able to say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God. He came and He gave His life a ransom for me. Real fancy church talk, right? What does it mean? It means He took the punishment for every knuckleheaded, stupid, simple thing that this guy and you and anybody else ever created had ever done or ever will do. Because you see, God's not going to allow imperfect into his perfect heaven. It's just like an operating room. I've shared this with my folks before. If somebody's getting ready to operate on you, do you want a sterile environment or you want them to do it out behind the woodshed? Which one do you want? You want a sterile environment. I worked in the hospital for a long time. Spent a lot of time in the operating room. so Saw some amazing things. But as I did, I remember having to wash in, scrub up really good. Use iodine soap to get all the germs off. Put on gloves. Put on a bunny suit. You had to put on a hat to cover your hair as if I really needed that. But I still had to do it. You have to go in with little booties on your shoes. I mean, you're all decked out and you go in. And they've got these ultraviolet lights to kill all the germs. And they make sure that they Send all the instruments through the autoclave so that there is not a germ one in there. Why? Because it only takes one to kill you. They're getting ready to open you up. They're getting ready to cut you open. Would you want them to grab the hacksaw out of your tool shed and take at you like that? Uh Uh-uh. You want them to have the cleanest stuff that they can. You want the environment to be sterile because you realize that if you're not in a sterile environment and you're opened up and you get one germ, it could take your life. It could eat you alive. That is God's heaven. It is sterile in every way. There is not one single germ of sin there, nor will there ever be. He will not allow it in. So we've got a problem, don't we? Because we're all sick with that germ called sin. Nobody had to teach you how to lie or how to manipulate or how to work around things to get what you want. Nobody had to teach you how to gossip. Nobody had to teach you how to think evil thoughts of someone else instead of giving the benefit of the doubt. No one had to teach you how to be childish. You knew it. Why did you know it? Because we have sin nature. We're all sick with it. And it's not going into glory. And so we have a problem. What are we going to do? He said, I got the fix for that. I'm going to send my only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He's going to die on a cross. His blood is going to clean them up just like an autoclave cleans up the instruments going into an operating room. So that my child, my children can step into my perfect eternal kingdom. I hope all of you would be able to answer that that's who Jesus is. The one that made it possible for you to have life more abundant and free here with joy. And have life eternal there. And if you don't know this Jesus... You need to be able to answer that question. He is all that, but more importantly, He is my Savior. And I realize that revival is typically to bolster the church, to build you up, to wake you up, get us out of our complacency, but I preach that part of the message tonight to say this. If you do not know Jesus Christ, from our young people all the way to the oldest in the room, please don't leave here without knowing Jesus because, as I said, you have a sickness, And you can't fix it. There's no prescription except Jesus Christ. Make sure you know him. So moving along as we think about that, the only way to really have joy is first to know that, but then to focus on that Jesus. In fact, I would just tell you the best way to focus and to have joy is to be cross-eyed. Yeah, somebody said, what? Somebody out there trying to cross your eyes right now. It's not what I mean. And if anybody happens to be cross-eyed, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm telling you, if we are to focus correctly and have real joy, you need to be cross-eyed. What do I mean? You need to be focused on the cross of Calvary and, more importantly, the Christ of the cross of Calvary. We see it throughout Scripture. It started from the very beginning. Y'all remember these things? uh, Let's see, I was here, what, about six years ago in revival, and I preached about these ten suggestions Were they the Ten Suggestions? Was it that? No, it was the Ten Commandments, wasn't it? I told y'all when I started that revival, I said, it's time for us to get back to some basics. So let's get real basic. Let's get back to the Ten Commandments. And do you know what the first one was in Exodus 20, verse 3? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's the first one. What's it talking about? It's talking about of everything else you can do in your life, your main focus should be loving God Almighty. And why wouldn't we? You wouldn't be here without Him. You would have nothing without Him. You say, I worked hard for what I got. Who gave you the breath so you could get up and go work hard for what you got? Man, you've heard old scientists. They've been trying to figure out how to create life for years. They had one that finally in his pride rose up and said, I figured it out. He went outside and he said, hey, God. We don't need you anymore. I figured out how to make humans. God said, this ought to be good. Well, all right, go ahead. Man reached down to grab a handful of dirt to throw it over in a test tube. He said, hold on. Use your own dirt. Why wouldn't we love God? He is the creator of all things. And any man or woman, scientist or anything that calls himself a scientist or pseudo-intellectual that says that there is no divine creator is a fool. Amen. How could we look at creation and say, oh, this just happened? That's right. Come on, y'all. And I'd say it to their face. Why? Because the Bible says it. Amen. He that says there is no God is a fool. Amen. Think about that. Now, I like Lowe's Home Improvement. My wife's saying, yeah, amen, too much. You know it. You see me in now all the time, don't you, sister? I just come in there and walk around sometimes. I don't need to exercise. I get plenty of steps a day. I just like going to Lowe's. Lowe's Home Improvement has everything required to build a house, doesn't it? Everything from the block and the mortar to do the foundation, the two-by-fours for the frame. They got the wiring to rough it in. They got siding for the outside. They got the, the sheeting for the top of it you can got the shingles there, the nails for the sh- everything, windows, doors, everything needed to build a house is right there in Lowe's Home Improvement. Would you agree? What if I were to go blow up Lowe's? Now, d- listen, I'm not getting ready to do that, okay? Yeah. I'm not. I like it too much. What if I were to go and blow up Lowe's? All the products to build a house are there. If I blow it up, is a house going to be the result of that explosion? No, not any more than the Big Bang caused an ordered universe. You see, real science tells you that chaos begats chaos, but order begats order. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if I have no other reason to focus on him than that, that's enough. Because if he's that powerful and he's willing to entertain the thought of me talking to him and knowing him and having a relationship with him, that's enough. Even if there were no such thing as eternal life and Jesus had not come, just the fact that he's God warrants me focusing on him. Oh, but there is a Jesus. He did die for me and there is eternal life. But as I think about that, it is the first commandment for a reason. And what was the second commandment right after that? Thou shalt have no idols before me. Sort of a repetition, isn't it? God's supposed to be first. And if you don't have that in place in your life, it's no wonder you don't have joy. And it's also no wonder that people aren't coming to Christ by the droves because of your influence. Because you have not figured out the most fundamental truth of the Christian life, that God is first. Not first on a list of priorities, but first, and then there's a list of priorities. He said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Love me. With all that you are, no other idols. if any of you read Matthew 22 verses 38 through 40, you don't have to turn there you know the story. they are trying to trick Jesus at this point they've been talking about what's the greatest commandment You see their motive was wrong to begin with. they have been sitting around having councils and meetings, you know committees it's crazy. you know God so loved the world He did not send a committee <clears throat> Lord, I get so sick of a doggone... You know what committees are good at? Having a meeting to have another meeting. I work for the government, so I am burnt on committees. I'm just going to tell you, they have their place. And we've got some really good ones at our church, and I'm not putting them down. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of our meetings at the government, a lot of our committees were simply to meet to determine where we're going to meet again. It really was. But there were committees sitting around, religious holy rollers. I despise religion. I really do. That's about what we can do for God. It's really about what he's already done for us. But that's another message for another night, maybe next year. But the committees were sitting around talking. They said, let's figure out out of the 613 commandments that we're trying to keep to be good, which should never be your motive. You shouldn't be keeping the Lord's word to be good. You should be keeping it because he's God and he deserves it. But again, another message, another time. They're trying to figure out which one they could keep to make it easier on themselves. That's their motive. And so they're talking to Jesus, and they said, oh, we got him now. If all our committees and all of our knowledge and all of our studying, we couldn't figure out what the greatest one was, he won't be able to either. So this guy looks at him, and he says, Master, real condescending if you read the context, Master. Which is the greatest commandment? Jesus never skips a beat in my Bible. He answers immediately, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy might, all thy strength, everything that you are. And then I love what he does. He don't stop there, he always gives a little extra. He said the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we're going to get to that one tomorrow night. But he begins in Matthew 22, 38 through 40 by saying the first and greatest commandment is just to love God. He is restating that first commandment and that second commandment. And he is restating what you need to hear and convince yourself of if you want to have joy and make a difference in this world and in the one to come. He's saying, love God first. And he goes on at the end of that to say, and you can hang the rest of it on those two. You see, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-eight 38 through 40, what he's done is he's encapsulated the first six commandments about loving God in one statement. And then he's encapsulated the last four about loving others in the last statement about that. But as he looks at that, he's saying, first of all, love God. That's Jesus speaking. And then there's this little verse called Matthew 6, 33 that I absolutely love. And many of my folks have heard me say it incessantly. It's real simple. Seek ye first. What was it? Seek ye f- what? First, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Are you starting to get a picture here of what I'm trying to get across? Our focus, first and foremost, must be on God, on Christ on who He is in our lives, and if it's there instead of all the bad news and we really remember who God is, we're going to be okay. You see, the problem is in our lives we allow our problems and the issues and the negatives to get really big and at the same time God in our heart and minds gets really small. Let me tell you something. God is never going to get smaller. He will always be the supreme sovereign of the universe and he will always be bigger than any of your petty problems, my petty problems, or any craziness that's going on in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It's not going to matter what's happening with the NFL, who's kneeling, who's standing, who's locking arms. It ain't going to matter who crosses the finish line on the NASCAR race next week first. None of that's going to matter and you're going to get over that stuff because some of you are thinking he really just hurt my feelings. You're gonna get over it because none of it's as big as God. Amen. We just got to get a hold of that. And the Bible is full of countless examples of how our focus should be on God, but it's usually on what? Number one, it's not going to work. You're not going to have the joy you should. Remember David? He was considered a man after God's own heart. But I'll tell you, if you read his story carefully. His biography is scary. Here is a man that in one month's time went from being the godliest leader that Israel had ever had. A man who was walking with God, doing the right thing, even when it was difficult. But in one month's time, he became an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar extraordinaire. Sin crept in that quick. How do you think it happened? Focus. Focus. How do I know that? Read Psalm 51.10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. You know what he's saying? Help me to refocus on what's right, and what's right is you. Read Psalm 51. It's beautiful. He had lost his focus, and in one month's time, he had gone from being a man after God's own heart, a godly man, to one who had a, a man killed so that he could have relations with another man's wife. And he lied and manipulated an entire kingdom to get it done. What about the book of Judges? You ever read that book? I know Herbert's preached through that here. Gosh, in 37 and a half years, he'd probably have to add books to the Bible. Good grief. (laughs) He'd never do that. But I know he's been through Judges. Seven cycles. Seven cycles of a whole nation losing focus. What was happening with the Israelites is that they would be walking with God. Things are going great as things will when God is in charge of your life because even when it's bad, you're still good because you got Him right at the forefront. You're focused on Him. They're focused on Him. Everything's going good. But then they start slipping. Why? Because they're looking over here instead of looking at Him. When they start slipping, they start sinning. They start realizing, okay, we can do it on our own. we got a better plan. And then what happens? Everything falls to pieces we're experiencing it. We're watching it firsthand right now in our nation. But they'd lose focus. They'd fall away. They'd become sinful. They were in this apostasy state. And then all of a sudden, they would say, oh, my gosh, we we, we got to get back right. Somebody, one of those judges would step forward, and God would use them to refocus his children back on him. And then what would happen? Everything would start turning back around. I'm praying for that. You realize it, you realize if that's to happen in our nation, it's going to be because we get refocused as a church. Amen. And I love that passage. If my people who are called according to my name will humble themselves, if they'll pray, if they'll once again seek me, I'll be attentive to their prayer and I'll heal their land. The book of Judges is seven times it's proved that that'll happen. But seven times they do that and then fall again. And then come back to God, get their focus right. Things will get good seven times. And we look at them and we laugh, but we do the same thing. We do it in our personal lives and we do it corporately as the church. We've got to cut it out and keep our focus. Oh, and then there's Nehemiah on the flip side. There's a right way to do this. Nehemiah 8.10. It says the joy of... Anybody? The joy of the Lord. See, y'all should know that one. Shame on you. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah is writing those words as they're rebuilding a city that has been destroyed. Why? Because they'd lost their focus. They're rebuilding the walls, and the whole time they're rebuilding the walls, they're being attacked, being threatened, and surrounded by the enemy. And yet, he said, it's okay, I got joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord was his strength. Oh, and then I think about the most pointed and the most used example of focusing on God. And this is where I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14. This is the account of Peter walking on water. Remember that story? You've heard it. You're getting ready to hear it again. So brace yourselves. We're going to start in verse 22. We're going all the way to verse 33. One of the most pointed examples of how important it is to focus on Jesus Christ. Matthew 14, 22 says this, And straightway Jesus commanded his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the winds were contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if it be thou, bids me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come, He went down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt me? Now, this comes on the heel of one of the beautiful miracles that Jesus had performed. He had just fed roughly 12,000 people, we're guessing, with one little boy's sack lunch. What would you say they called a brown bag in South Carolina, Herbert? A poke. What is wrong with y'all down there? i gonna have to pay for that one. That man loves South Carolina. But he told me tonight, he said he remembered his aunt making him a lunch, a sack lunch. She'd put potted meat and Vienna sausages and saltine. I know, me too. Y'all, I'm like, whoa. Salted, saltine crackers in there in a poke. That's what they called a paper bag. I'm going to start calling it now just because it's fun. It's something different. But she'd send him off fishing with his uncle with that little sack lunch. And what was in this little boy's lunch was not much more than that. Just a little bit of fish, which were really like sardines, and just a little bit of bread. And Jesus multiplies that food and feeds, it says, 5,000 men. And those times, and ladies, I'm, just, I'm sorry, you just sort of got the short end of the stick, culturally speaking, in those times. They wouldn't have counted the ladies, but you better believe the ladies would have been there. And there were children there. So Jesus fed roughly 12,000 people, just a guesstimate, with one little boy's poke or sack lunch. Pretty amazing. And yet, right after that, Jesus says, I want you all to go to the other side. Now, there's a message there in itself. What I would say that message is is real simple. Right after a victory, be careful. Stay focused. Let's move on to the next victory because it's real easy to get prideful after something big or good happens. And that's when we begin to lose focus on him and focus on what? All oh, those guys did were there as instruments in God's hands. They didn't do it, but Jesus realizes, okay, if we're not careful here, they're going to try to make me their physical king, and you guys are going to get prideful. So he tells them, go on the other side of the sea there. And so it's about 4 in the morning. They're out four and a half miles out here on, the, on this sea, and a storm comes up. You ever been on the ocean, any of you? Raise your hands you've been on the ocean. How many of you got green to the gills? Yeah, yeah, I got a few honest folks. Yeah. Man, you go out there, and it's just different, right? Why? Because you're just doing this all the time. I will never forget being in the Philippines a few years back on a mission. Missy and I were getting ready to go across to a volcano to the other side of this body of water on the Philippine Sea. And as we get ready to get in this thing they called a boat, I was like, Oh, that's not bad. It's this really nice long boat there. And I'm like, it oh, won't be bad. And then this other little boat pulls around the side. It looks like a bathtub with a couple of oars on it. <laughs> that's what we rode across. I kid you not, we rode across there, and it was just like this the whole time. Thank goodness we didn't get sick, but it was something. And the sea was relatively quiet. Can you imagine, those of you that raised your hands and those who didn't, can you imagine being on a sea When a huge storm comes up, it says it in real flowery language here in the King James, it says the winds were contrary. Let me tell you what was going on. It was a bad storm, and they were getting scared. They were terrified. And all of a sudden, about 4 o'clock in the morning, it says the fourth watch, about 4 a.m., something comes walking up on the waves. Now I don't care who you are. That ain't normal. I mean, you can be like... What in the world? You're probably going to be thinking you shouldn't have drank whatever that was they handed you. (laughs) Or you're going to be thinking, I'm getting sick and my mind's going. This is bad. I might be getting ready to die. And they're scared. They're terrified. And they look out there and they think they've seen a ghost. They're already in the middle of a storm. It's already scary. They're probably seasick to some extent. And then here comes what they think is a ghost. A little bit out of sorts. We all would be. And he says... Don't worry, it's me. And I want to tell you all something as a bit of a side message here. Nothing should be able to shake you in your life. Nothing should be able to steal your joy. Because I don't care what storm you're in the middle of or how many storms you have to go through, Jesus is standing there saying, It's okay, I'm right here. And I got this. Oh man, if God be for you, who can be against you? Have you read that Romans 8.31? If God be for you, who can be against you? Nobody. You see, Jesus is reminding them, Hey, I got you. It's okay. You can relax. For every wave that was moving out there, He knew exactly what to do to stop it. He was walking on it. And He tells them to relax. And I'm going to tell y'all that. Y'all need to settle down. And by y'all, I mean Christians all over the globe. People need to see that we believe in something stable and that no matter how bad the storm is, We're okay because we know who's in control. So he says, settle down. Well, Peter, he was that apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. You know those folks. If it comes up, it comes out. Peter was that guy. And I've got great friends like that, and I really do enjoy them. Sometimes they cause me extra work because I have to sort of, you know, clean up behind them a little bit because they've been a little abrasive or hurt somebody or whatever. But I love my friends like that because I don't have to wonder what they're thinking. You know, as a preacher, people tell me what I want to hear, and then I have to figure out in between the words what they really mean. You know how that goes. Don't you preacher? Don't nod your head. Uh, but, But when there's somebody like Peter, you don't have to wonder. He just tells you straight out. So Peter jumps up, and he's like, it is Jesus. He said, if that's really you, tell me to come out there to you. I want to walk on water too. And I'll tell you, we give Peter a bum rap. But that's a big deal right there, folks. Do you have enough faith to step out of the boat in the middle of the storm? He did. Oh, yeah, he messed up here in a minute. We're going to get to that. But he had enough faith to get out. The other 11 rascals sat back just hoping he was going to calm the storm and everything would be okay. Uh, He wanted to do something more. He said, call me to you. What did Jesus say? Come on. Come on. And that's what he's saying to y'all. That's what he's saying to me. He's saying, I got you. Storm's bad, but I got you. And how about you step out here onto the waves with me and let's get some work done. And if you just say like, Elijah, here I am, Lord, send me. Remember Isaiah, here I am, send me. So many of those prophets, so many of the heroes of the scripture said, here I am, send me. You know what he's going to say? Come on. So Peter steps out and what does he do? I Tell you what I would have done. I probably would have sunk like a rock. I'm just being real. Because I'm telling you, that's a lot. It's a lot to be able to step out and to focus on Jesus and not focus on a bunch of waves lapping at you. Knowing that you're standing on a sea that in some places might have been 16 miles deep. 16 miles, that's crazy. I'm not stepping out on that. But even if I had, I probably would have lost focus and been trying to steady myself and went down. Not Peter. He walked on over there to Jesus. But he was only walking on water as long as he was focused on what? What happened when he looked away at the waves? Went down. Started screaming like a little girl. You say, you want there? Listen. I know men. They rough and tumble until something starts going wrong. And then they scream like little girls. Y'all know it's true. Y'all know it's true. Come on. (laughs) See, me and Herbert in and out of hospitals all day long, all week long, week after week after week. And Herbert, go on and say it now. I'm going to put you on the spot. Which one's tougher when it comes to sicknesses and surgeries, men or women? Oh. Women. Women are because men are big babies when it comes to stuff like that. We milk it and try to get all the attention we can get. And ladies, I'm just telling you, please give it because we need it. (laughs) Moving right along. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. And he went down. And he started screaming, Lord, please help me. What happened? Jesus said, no, you put yourself in that mess. Get yourself out of it. Somebody throw him a life preserver. Uh Uh He reaches down. He grabs him and he picks him up. So I'm going to tell you several things here. First of all, have faith enough to step out of the boat. God's asking you to do something. He doesn't want you to be a spectator. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You are not supposed to be kicked back in your lazy boy pews getting comfortable, being fed all the time, and never willing to help somebody else. Never willing to do anything. That's not Christianity. Love is not give and take. Love is give. You've been given the love that is unbounded. It's time to get up and do something with it. So when you have an opportunity, step out of the boat, no matter how crazy it is, no matter what the storm or the craziness looks like, and trust the Lord to go with him. But when you do get out there, if something goes wrong and you start to sink a little bit, cry out to Jesus. I love what the choir sung tonight. Give me Jesus. Cry out to him, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to pick you up. Now, if I haven't given you any reason for joy yet, I don't know what else I can do. What I'm telling you is that He's calling you. He wants to use you. He's going to equip you and enable you. And when you do stumble, as you will, He's going to pick you back up, dust you off, and send you on. He is not the God of second chances. He's the God of third, fourth, fifth, millions of chances. Thank the Lord for it. He'll pick you up and He'll get you going. That's reason for joy. But the overall point I want to make tonight from that one little passage is that Peter was able to do the unthinkable able to defy the laws of nature because he focused on the one who wrote the laws of nature. He focused on the one who has no laws, no bounds, no limits. As long as he was focused, he had joy. Because can you imagine? Peter is the only human being ever to live that could say, I walked on water. That's joy right there. We love bragging, don't we? We get a little first place trophy for a yelling contest or something. Man, we want that thing framed and in a trophy cabinet and want everybody to see it, right? Peter walked on water. He had joy because he knew the Lord and he focused on the Lord. And that joy only began to wane when he started sinking when he lost his focus. So be focused. Here it is, folks. Focus on yourself, you're going to be distressed. Focus on the world, you're going to be depressed. But if you focus on Jesus, you're going to be blessed. Share a little something from you that I read in a devotion a while back. It said that one glass of water, just one ordinary drinking glass of water, is enough, if dispersed correctly, to cover seven city blocks, 100 feet thick with a dense fog. Do you believe that? I don't know if I believed it or not, but that's exactly what it said. One glass of water would cause seven city blocks to be enveloped in a hundred foot thick dense fog. Point of that story is this. It only takes a little bit of doubt and a little bit of turning, a little bit of fuzziness in our focus from the Lord to get off track. And then you get further and further and further away. Don't let just a little bit get you so off track that you have no joy whatsoever. One last place I'd like for you to turn with me tonight. Psalm chapter 16. Almost dead center of your Bible. Psalm chapter 16. Two little verses. And I want to encourage you to write this down on a note card. Put it on the dash of your car. Maybe tape it to your bathroom mirror. I live in one of those houses where my wife writes verses on paper and puts it everywhere. Everywhere I go, there's something. It's a good idea to put this one somewhere because if you will practice this one, your joy will be full. Psalm 16, and I'm going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. Psalm 16, verses 8 and 9. The psalmist, this happens to be David. He said, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that I have put Jesus, I've put God right at the forefront of my life. And I focus on him. And because of that, I will not be shaken. I will not be depressed. I will not be distressed. I will not be moved. I'm good. He says, I'm going to have joy. You remember when I shared that Hebrew word with you last night? That fancy word that meant giddy, joy. He's saying, I've got him at the very forefront of my life. I'm focused on Jesus, therefore I will not be moved and I will be giddily joyful. And I'm also going to have hope, no matter what. If we would practice this one thing, if we would focus on him and let our joy show... We really could make a bigger difference in this world than we're making. Amen. So folks, let me encourage you to put on your joy and let it show. This morning I woke up and one of the many devotionals I read, it popped up on my phone and the title of it was Ambushed by Joy. I thought, well, who the fuck it? I said, Missy, you're not going to believe this. My devotion this morning is Ambushed by Joy. What it is saying in that devotion is basically that this person woke up and his blessings began to run through his mind and his heart and he began to realize, man, how can I not be joyful? And I'd ask you the same question, how could we not? Focus on Jesus, you're going to be. And you'll be able to get out there and ambush the enemy and grab people because of your joy. May it be evident, may it be real, may it never leave you again as life happens. Father God, thank you for these people. Thank you for their patience in coming out on a Monday night of all nights. Lord, the work week always has to start with a Monday, and we just hate them sometimes. seems like everybody's just pent up all the craziness over the weekend. They're ready to cause us aggravation, and Monday's sometimes just tough. But, Lord, these people have come out to your house on a Monday, and they've been patient. Listen to some beautiful singing, and then listen to me preach. But God, I pray that they'll be blessed for it. I pray that with all the words I've said, that they'd recognize that there is one word above all of them that matters and will give them real joy, and that's Jesus. Like the choir sang tonight, give me Jesus. And I pray that every soul in this place will be singing that until their last breath. And the more Jesus we get, the more joy we're going to have, the more joy we've got, the more we ought to show it, and the more we show it, the better ambassadors we're going to be for you. Lord, help us to be out there understanding that we are witnessing every moment of our lives, whether we intend to or not. And our joy is a huge part of that witness. Help us to grasp the reasons why we should have it and to let it show. And I pray this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.
0: from the earlier proposal some here